Hi, I'm Mary Grothies, CEO of SalesBQ. Elated that you're joining us for another episode of our Quota Crusher podcast. Today, I brought on one of my most favorite human beings in the entire world. This is a gal that came to SalesBQ through our recruiting function, and we had the perfect client where we wanted to place her. And we had such strict parameters of what we were looking for in this placement. I wanted super high power sales director that meant business, somebody that could come into an environment and just breathe life into it and get this team saying, yes, I wanna show up every day and I wanna perform at my best ability. For all of you that don't know what BQ is, it is the behavioral quotient of behavioral intelligence. That is your sales reps commitment to executing. It's their behavior. It's what they show up with every day. Reps can be super smart. They can have product knowledge. They can understand their industry, the marketplace, competition. They can also have great emotional intelligence and they have good self-awareness and they're amazing with other people. They know how to pivot in conversations and that's wonderful. But there's a BQ, the behavioral quotient, there's this component that dictates performance. Yes, those other two are important, but this is the trump card. You can be super smart, you can be very emotionally intelligent, but then when you show up to the game, when you show up to produce, there's a behavior component where you actually have to do the work. And so is a very hard job and typically BQ is impacted with negative culture with a lack of high performance on the sales team it can be affected when you look at uh, territories that aren't carved up well or quotas that are unrealistic when you've got clunky internal systems and processes a lot of things can bring down a reps BQ and when we met Jessica we were blown away we're like this is the answer she is gonna get plugged into this sales organization and this thing is going to improve overnight well we were right. <laughs> we did. So here's our guest, Jessica Blaze. I'd love Hi. for you to introduce yourself, and then we're going to talk about all the amazing things that you've done to build a high-performing sales culture. Great. Um, so I'm Jessica Blaze. I work for Vintage View Wine Storage Systems as their director of sales. I manage a team of about 12 right now. Um, this is not my first role as a sales director. Um, a lot of my other roles have focused in technology and building outbound sales departments, which really fed in well to the organization that I'm with now. And um, it's just, like Mary has said, been a great fit for me. Yes, and with that training, one fun thing, that I loved that you did before we hired her is she gave me a recorded demo of her other technology that she was selling. This gal is the epitome <laughs> of hustle sales. She was not taking no for an answer. She's like, let me please just dem demonstrate more of my skills to you. For those of you that are interviewing for your next sales role, especially an elevated position in management or at director level, you've got to prove out because the hustle and what you're showing in that process, it shows your hiring manager, what you're gonna to bring to the table when you're on board. She also just assumed she was getting the position and started working out projections and numbers and territories that had all these strategy ideas, bringing to the table like, Jessica, you're not hired yet, but I really appreciate <laughs> you pretending. Oh, but I am, just wait, oh, but I am, you'll hire me. <laughs> That's exactly right, and, and we did. And yeah. we're so glad that we did. Yes. All right, so you come on board, every, this isn't the first time you've done it, so you can share your your thoughts with us on that first day when you're taking over a sales team, how do you assess the situation? How do you get the benchmarks and immediately build that checklist of how you're going to turn this team? So I think um, one of the things that higher up managers make the mistake of is they come in and they want to make all these changes. Mm -hmm. And salespeople are afraid of change. They're like, wait a second, this could affect 
how I like my job, this could affect my pay. And so for me, it was really important in the first 30 days to come in and be in the trenches. So the very first thing that I did was took on a territory. I knew nothing about wine storage sales, but I knew that that was the fastest way to acclimate myself to the business. And then it proved to my team that I wasn't just going to sit in an ivory tower somewhere and dictate all these things, but that I could actually do the day-to-day operations. And now what it's built over the last six months is they have trust in me. They know when they're going to be on vacation that I will backfill their position and make sure that no balls get dropped. So it's really important to me to make sure that you're in the trenches with your people. You understand what they're going through in day-to-day. And I think so many managers make the mistake of coming in and saying, you know what, I really know sales. I'm going to come in here and I'm going to tell you how to do this. But they don't actually know the business. Correct. Because sales is sales is sales, but you have to know your business. Well, it goes back to the IQ factor. IQ could be product knowledge, industry knowledge, knowledge of the marketplace, and the credibility that you have as a sales as a sales director when you come into the scene. If you've not worked in that industry before, there's a lot of doubt. And in fact, you were up against another candidate that could have been a better plug in to that kind of day in the life and that type of sale. But what we saw, even though you came from the SaaS world, is we saw the hustle, we saw the grit, the perseverance, we saw the energy, we saw the uh, high urgency and the dedication to creating this high performing culture. And the fact that you came in and you said, I don't know it, but I'm going to learn it and watch me. You gave yourself a timeline, you mastered it, you built the trust. A lot of sales leaders, when you're coming in from out of industry and you're embarking on a new role, that's a big challenge because your team's gonna look at you and you you might be alienated out of the gate because you have no street cred. And it's difficult. You may have been great in your former position, but if you haven't done their role, it's very difficult. So this happened to me when I was selling for a payroll company is I had a manager that hadn't been in the field or sold in 16 years. And my challenge with that was, is I'm selling every single day and you have not sold this product in 16 years. In fact, you've never sold this product because what you were selling 16 years ago was wildly different. And you haven't even been in the field. You haven't even heard these objections. And so we're sitting in these sales meetings. I'm like, don't even give me coaching and feedback. I was super frustrated and it was difficult for me because it would have moved the needle. So I think step number one was brilliant. Get in the territory, learn it, prove to them that you're committed to having the IQ, the product knowledge, understanding the marketplace, the competition, gaining the credibility, and then of course that trust factor, especially when they're out that you can backfill them so they're still set up for success. What's something else? Well, and it's really, really important to know that your number one thing is to build your people up, right? Yes. My number one job is to not sell wine racks. My number one (laughs) job is to make sure that my team is successful and that when there's a problem, I have their back and I am never supposed to be the hero. It really frustrates me for organizations where people get escalated up to a manager and they're like, oh yeah, we'll give you whatever you want. Then you make your salesperson seem like they have no authority. Mm -hmm. You've just ruined that relationship. They have to rebuild credibility. For me too, it's, it's really important that when I get escalated situations, a hot customer that's really upset about something, that I give the answer back to my salesperson to give to them. It is not my job to come in and be the hero and then they're gonna wanna call me all the time. I will take my sales team and say, you know what, when this situation arises, we need to talk through it, but I'm gonna give you talk tracks to go back to them because I don't ever wanna be in a situation where then clients are calling me all the time because they know I can fix it. I need them to know that my sales team can fix it. They have the authority to make the decision and if they don't, They'll come to me, but you really have to empower your team to be able to do a certain discount threshold, to not have to ask 
task and handhold. When you do that, you're creating this environment where it takes me to run the oper operation, but really, I should be their support team. I should be their cheerleader. It's my job to make sure that they're hitting quotas and doing the right things, and when situations arise, we can talk through them together, but ultimately, ultimately it's my job to make sure that they have the tools to be successful themselves. That way, it's a well-oiled machine. I should never step out of the building or go on a client visit and then have this environment where everything falls apart. And I know there are sales directors, sales managers, even sales VPs out there that when you're out of the building, the building falls apart. It's like everything has caught fire now. But that's an environment that you're breeding because you're not allowing them to handle the situations on their own and equipping them with the tools to be successful themselves. So that is another really, really important thing. Agreed. I think something else that you did that was brilliant is you remove bottlenecks in the infrastructure. So you look at systems and processes, deal flow, and we looked at the life cycle of the customer and how we were taking them from, hey, I'm interested in your product all the way through a close and of course creating a raving fan and hoping there'll be repeat projects after that. On the technology side, you did a deep dive assessment out of the gate, and you were able to uncover where the inefficiencies were occurring, where money was being thrown out the window, there was duplicate data entry, you had two systems that the data didn't match, it was very difficult from a forecasting standpoint, and the team was frustrated. So as part of the, the first 90 days when you were in there, talk about what you were able to uncover from a technology infrastructure standpoint, automation, and why that's important to you, and what did you bring forth? So. I think the most important thing is technology should always be a tool to make your life easier. We want all of our sales teams working smarter, not harder. And so what that looks like is, again, you have to be in the trenches. If they are telling you it takes too long to enter a customer, to do an invoice, to send out an estimate or a proposal, you need to see why. Mm -hmm. So walk through the system with them and see why, live a day in the life. And if it is really taking too, too much time, I mean, my sales team on average probably produces 3,000 thousand dollars an hour if it takes them an hour to enter a customer and do all of that stuff they just lost three grand times ten we're out thirty thousand dollars over an hour spent on technology that's not what technology is for it is there to help you not hinder you so if everything is not all in one location if it's not making their life easier find something that will so because, you did, right? So yeah. you made a recommendation, you took on the project. This is another thing that I think is a very admirable quality is your ownership. As you said, this is a problem, I'm taking it on and I'm gonna handle it. You didn't wait on other people, you weren't submitting a request to the CEO and twiddling your thumbs and waiting for other people to do things. You saw a problem, you did the cost calculation on it and you made a judgment call and said this has to change and you yeah. drove that initiative to change. And what I got to see firsthand is the team was elated that one, yeah. you were willing to do something about it, two, you found a solution that made sense, and then three, you saw the project all the way through. Right, and it's, it's really important to have a CEO that you can really collaborate with. Um, I'm very, very blessed to have a CEO that he and I can talk through problems like this. And when I say, this is the problem, this is what we're gonna gain from it, this is the cost, but this is also the benefit, then we can have a candid conversation on what needs to change. And that was one of the reasons I was brought in in the first place, to create these yes. changes to grow revenue. And that's the ultimate goal. So what can we do in the organization to grow the revenue? And for us, one of the biggest pain points was the technology. Yes. We were dealing with technology that was from 
1989, not really, Woo but. <laughs> That's when Taylor Swift was born. Yeah, so I mean, it was old technology and it was, I felt like I was banging my head against the wall. I can't even imagine what my reps were feeling that had been there for two or three years. Yes. It's like, the, the, you know, they're going in doing the same thing and expecting a different result. Like that is the definition of insanity. We just keep going through the motions and nothing's, nothing's changing. And so when that happens, when they're spending so much time with their technology, mm -hmm. They're not selling. No. And their whole job is to sell. Correct. Um, so which, let's yeah. Well, let's I, talk about selling. Yes. Metrics. Yes. Something remarkable happened. This is a very transactional environment. Lot, a lot, a lot of transactions happening on a daily basis. We gave this team an annual quota. We broke it apart quarterly. She came in. Not only did she not enforce that monthly, she broke it down into daily quotas and build yeah. a calendar. So tell me what your thought process was behind that and when you introduced that to the team, what did that do to ignite that high performance culture? So what I found at the current organization is because um, my team had been kind of flying solo a little bit. They were in their own world, on their own island. When I asked them what their goal was, they couldn't tell me off the top Ooh. of their head. When I asked them, you know, what do you need to be selling per day? they were unsure. And so for me, instead of them being unsure, I'm like, cool, I can fix that. So I created these <laughs> calendars, I'm like here's your goal. We have 22 working days and in order to get to your goal, you need to sell $5,700 a day. Mm -hmm. And it adds up and extrapolates so that by the end of the month, the last day is their total goal. Then every day they know if they're pacing behind or ahead. So what I don't like is when you get to day 25 of a month and you're having your one-on-one -on -one and you look at somebody's numbers and they're now pacing 80% behind. It's not realistic for them nope. to make up 80% of their day in three days or yeah. five days. It's just never gonna happen. No. And so as you know, what's gonna happen is if you aren't constantly tracking where they're at and if they're pacing to actually hit their quota, mm -hmm. they're not gonna make it. No, so. I think it's brilliant. I saw how it changed their whole perception of hitting their goal. And for the first time, I mean, I don't know, maybe in history with that company, the team hasn't missed a goal. And it's pretty impressive to see the adoption and the accountability of hitting those numbers. It's absolutely remarkable. Something else was a product of that, and that is this new competition that they have amongst themselves. So talk about how you create an environment where there's healthy competition, what that looks like, and give some advice. How can others create that? So I think the number one thing you need to ask your salespeople is what motivates you, what's getting you out of bed, and I want the top three things. And if money is not in the top three, you need to probe them and ask, were they being humble? Did they not want to say money? But also, if it's not money, they're probably not the right person for the situation. Number two, number three should always be, I want to win. And so for my team, most of them want to win more than they want money, which is unique. But um, so what we've been doing is everybody knows everybody's percentage to goal. Quotas are different because territory sizes are different. So what we measure is not how much they're selling per month, but how much to quota they are. And the person with the highest quota usually gets some sort of spiff at the end of the month and they get a little trophy and they love it. Yes. It's, I mean, it is such a small amount of money. I think mm -hmm. people sometimes undervalue what an extra hundred dollars will do in a salesperson's pocket or a free lunch. Yes. It's amazing when you say to a sales team, I'm going to buy you pizza because it's the last day of the month. I want you to work 
really hard right now and the person that has the most sales or highest percentage to quota today gets an extra hundred dollars mm -hmm. like you will get an extra <laughs> i don't know 25 percent of your quota in a day because they're driven by a hundred dollars amazing that's a good investment to me <laughs> well i'll say that's yeah. one heck of a return yeah exactly exactly and so as we're talking about being efficient there are a lot of companies out there that still expect their salespeople to cold call and be the outbound person. Yes. Uh -huh. There should never be a person that is an inbound salesperson and also an outbound salesperson. Mm -hmm. So what it ends up creating is I'm going to call, call, call this week. So I didn't really sell anything this week because I didn't have any meetings, mm -hmm. but I'm going to call all week and then next week my, my week is full. So I, I have all these amazing meetings. Yep. I don't have time to call. Mm -mm. So then the following week I have no appointments. So it creates this every other week thing mm -hmm. where I'm either selling a lot or I'm making a lot of appointments and it's mm -hmm. never consistently both because they will want to focus on one thing. Yes. Also, it takes two completely different personalities. So somebody that can be effective at both is really hard to find. So if you can get in a sales development rep that's going to make those calls, you will see a huge increase in revenue. Huge increase. And we're big fans of that. You want to build a sales engine. And when you look at the organization, the life cycle of the customer, the deal flow, you want to understand your customer acquisition costs. Does it make sense to bring in that front end top of funnel that works in alignment with other top of funnel activities and marketing and whatnot, like the chat on the website, info webinars, in-person events, create that lead list coming in that they can call and follow up on and of course good old cold calling right yeah and but it's full-time it's momentum building and it does it creates a consistent flow of handoffs right and there will never be a replacement for cold calling people talk about how cold calling is dead really it's not Ooh. it's not it's not dead <laughs> and i can tell you since we've implemented that program in february mm -hmm. um, we now have two sdrs they have created and generated 10 percent of our revenue this year holy smokes 10 percent. that's a great stat it is and it's because we're doing the right things they are focusing wow. on only building rapport with somebody to a certain point that it's ready for my actual salesperson to come in, take the hand off and do all the nurturing. So you have a hunter and you have a farmer. So let these guys go hunt and find you stuff while your farmers are building those relationships. And um, it's gonna calculate to probably a half a million dollars in revenue for us this year. Amazing. Yeah, so if you're still doing the old thing, hire an SDR. Yeah, hire them. <laughs> Iron SDR. <laughs> Perfect. Good. Well, let's wrap it up. I'd love for you to give your advice. I let's say your audience right now is that sales manager or sales director. They're they're going into a new role and they need to take on a new team. You want to build that high performing sales culture, even one that's in it now, and they're just really struggling to create that. You gave a lot of really great tactics today, very well thought out. What's that one lasting nugget of wisdom that you want to leave with these people? I. I mean, there is really nothing worse that you can do by tearing your people down. Like that is the very worst thing you can do to motivate them. You need to come in, you need to be positive, you need to show them that you're on their side. You need to hear their problems. And if you can't find a solution, talk to somebody else that can help you brainstorm. So when they come to you and they have these problems and you start finding real solutions for them you're taking into what they're saying that doesn't mean that your salespeople are running your organization that doesn't mean that they get to make the final say but listen to them hear what they have to say take away some of those pain points and your sales team will be efficient and 
And it's an unfortunate thing as a sales director. If you have somebody that's not pulling their weight, get rid of them. Mm. I promise you will not regret it. Mm -mm. If, if they are not hitting quota, if they've missed quota more than two times in a row, they're probably not a good fit if you can't coach them on the right things to do. And so I think too many people, they, they waste time with these negative energies and the people that aren't being proficient. And it's you need to have positive energy in a place. People want to come where they like to be. Well, especially so. in the sales environment. I know I had plenty of Monday mornings that I came in in my old job and there was just doom and gloom feeling amongst the salespeople. In fact, I heard some of them say that their weekend is just ruined come Sunday afternoon because they know they've got to update Salesforce, reports are gonna be pulled in the morning and they're just waiting for the berating that's gonna happen in the sales meeting and they hated it. It was just such a negative culture. Monday morning, they're just moping around, everything was bad, but it comes from the top down. It's just it does, removing yeah. those types of things out of the, out of the culture. Well, and Move your sales meetings to Wednesday. Hey, 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 Move your sales meetings to Wednesday. So if they fell behind on Friday, it got really crazy. They don't feel like they have to come in on Monday and rush. I mean, you really have to create that environment where they're doing it as they go. But we're going to always have these legacy salespeople that are really great and aren't great at technology. So sure. coach them on it. But move your sales meetings. Accommodate your people. Do what you need to do to make them happy. And... I promise you when they're happy and having fun, they sell more. Uh, yes. All right. Well, that, yes, we want them selling more. That sounds like a great goal. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us You're today welcome. on the Quota Crusher podcast. And where can people connect with you? On LinkedIn. Perfect. And on LinkedIn, Jessica Blaze. B-L-A-I-S. We'll put a link. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thanks for joining us. And uh, don't forget to subscribe to us. And we would love to have you as a guest someday as well. If you know someone that should be on the show and share an amazing story like Jessica has done, we'd love to be introduced to them. Thanks, everybody.